0: Hello and welcome to Style & Substance, a branding and business podcast for inspired and empowered entrepreneurs. I'm Elizabeth Cairns and together with my fabulous co-host
1: Fiona Humberstone, we're here to help you sidestep the hustle, keep joy at the forefront of your work and champion a more meaningful and sustainable approach to business. We'll talk about everything from purpose to productivity, from colour psychology to creativity, where to start and how to keep going, how to stay inspired, empowered, and more importantly, sane in the process. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please like, share, subscribe, and keep listening. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to Style and Substance. And yeah, the sun is shining here. I'm feeling really fired up. How are you, lovely?
0: I'm really good, really good. I am I'm looking forward to seeing how the hustle culture income boasting episode lands actually. Because obviously, we're recording this before it goes out. And I had a lovely message from a listener about the entrepreneurial spirit saying, he was literally swearing at um the story of the guy that wanted to halve my day rate. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing how income boasting lands. <laughs> what yes. kind of response we get to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you everybody for all those messages that keep coming in. It really does mean a lot. Just just to know whether it's, you know, whether it's helping, what you're responding to. So yeah, keep them coming, folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually on that. We had a lovely review from Charlotte Thomas, who says, this is my favourite podcast. I mean, really, we should stop right there, right? <laughs> oh, that's so nice. She said, these two women are extremely inspiration and real. I love listening to them, and every episode is packed with helpful ideas. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, that's so nice. And I'm hoping you've got hundreds of podcasts on your list, and we're not the only ones you're
0: listening to. <laughs> Well, who cares? I mean, favourite of one, it's, it doesn't matter, does it? No, exactly. Oh, thank you so much. That's lovely.
1: All right. So on with the show. And today we are talking about pricing.
0: Yes. Yes. Hot topic. This is something that you work on with your clients a lot. Why is this so difficult to get right?
1: I think fundamentally for me, there's two things. There, there's a lot of layers of things to consider when you're considering pricing. Yes. And there's a commercial lens that's required to look at those things really clearly. Yeah. And we don't always know what those things are and we don't always have the distance from our business or the perspective from our business to be able to look at that with clarity. But I think fundamentally why it makes, why as humans it's such a difficult thing is because how we price our business Intrinsically equates to how much we value ourselves. Yes. And that is something for lots of different reasons that we need to get our head around when we're, whether that's a product or a service. So it's about the commercial layers to consider and whether we can see or own our worth and our value. Mm. So I think we dig into those. And I wonder whether it's helpful just to list some of those, some of the many factors. That we should be thinking about with pricing, and then dig into the various ways to look at that, because the one thing I do think is that there is not one way to price that will be the way to price for everybody
0: exactly, and this is why it's so hard and and we've had a conversation this week around brand strategy. You know you have to make an educated guess when it comes to the positioning of your brand when it comes to what messaging you're going to put out there, where you're going to sit in the market. There is no right way of doing things. There's, you know, there are approaches you can take. There are things that you can consider, but you have to trust your commercial instincts and you have to be prepared to listen to what's going on and adapt if it's not working. And I think this is fundamentally the issue with price as well, is there is no international standard for pricing (laughs) there's Mm. no like there's no certainty you have to follow your commercial instincts you have to take a bit of a punt and that's where things get challenging I think yeah and if you were
1: just looking at pricing and the thing being out there in the market that's one thing but when we're looking at empowered and inspired entrepreneurship you've also got the backdrop of the holistic picture for the entrepreneur so this is hugely Mm. complex but I think Once you know the things you've got to consider, then it just becomes making a decision on each of those pieces. So if we look at those Mm. things as headlines, there's the obvious thing of what will the market bear for this? And we'll dig into what that actually means. What does that mean? We need to think about what we personally are comfortable with in pricing. And what plays into that is how it affects our confidence. We'll talk about resentment and we'll talk about how pricing affects the amount of responsibility you have to take when you're delivering something Mm. and whether that's a product or a service. You have to know that you're buying yourself enough time to do a good job. And we've both said this countless times in the past and to be able to bring value for money. And you need to understand fundamentally what it costs to produce what it is you're delivering and I know this sounds nuts but there are so many things to factor into that and so many things repeatedly that I see entrepreneurs don't think about Mm. which again is tied up in relation to their worth so quite often for example we don't think about all of the time that gets factored into that particularly if we're not a day rate kind of person Mm. and so there's lots of things to consider just within that one question of what does it cost to produce Are there any ones I've missed in that factors to consider?
0: Hmm. Well, I think the competitive landscape. So the biggest thing for me is where is this going to sit in the market? And how how are we differentiating ourselves? Where's where's the value? And your price has a big bearing on that as well. And I, you know, I, I don't just mean in the very income boasting premium pricey kind of a way i mean genuinely your price has to stack up with what else is out there and the value you can bring and yeah
1: and that for me is all wrapped into what the market will bear so maybe let's take that first Mm. how do we explore what the market will bear and where we sit in that market in relation to pricing
0: well i i I know you've said we'll take that first and, and maybe we should but i kind of feel like you have to start from a point of value Uh what value are you able to bring what's what's and I guess I'm specifically thinking here about services probably rather than product probably Uh but what what value does what you have bring to your clients and you know and I don't know how deep you want to go into this yet but what value does what and then you know what's that worth and then I would be thinking about, well, what will the market bear? So not yes. just, you know, we're going through some incredibly challenging economic times. And that means that the pricing that would have been acceptable in 2018 is not going to not gonna fly in the way that it would have done five years ago. But also in terms of who do I want to be working with? Who can I deliver value for? What's my ceiling at this point with my expertise, with my credibility, with my process, with everything? There will be a cap generally for all of us. Um, Even things like I, you know, we've talked lots about how I run a lean business. I don't want staff. I don't want account managers. That's going to cap the level of business I can work with I might have the capability to go and work on a multinational FTSE 100 brand but I don't want to run the business that Mm. you know and all the account management and all the team that that a business like that would need so there's that what the market will bear as well piece isn't there I think
1: yeah, and fundamentally, I mean, actually, the core the core thing that I'd forgotten at the top of this whole section really <laughs> is: well, what do you want and need to earn from your business? And that, if you have that as a starting
0: point, almost. I mean, do though. Oh, this is the danger. I mean, I'm so glad we got income boasting out of the way. But you know, I might want to earn three million pounds profit this year. <laughs> that that might be quite nice. <laughs> Do I want to run that kind of business? Do I have the resource? You know so
1: even if we don't dig into whether that number is right or not, you still yeah. need a sense of that number. You need a sense of what do I need to make in my business? Yes, you do. And what is the value of what I'm bringing and what is that worth to my client base? And already we can start to hear how many subcategories and complexities of just working those things out are.
0: Isn't it a bit like with brand clarity, there is no kind of, there's no ordered gates that you go through to kind of go, well, we work out this. And then that builds on that. It's a a consideration of gazillion things yes. and it all distills down yes. into one answer, if you like. And I, it yeah. feels a bit the same with pricing. Yeah. And the conversations I
1: have with my client it'd be interesting, actually, to record them. Every conversation I have with every client about pricing has a completely different flow. Yeah, Because like you say, it's what comes up at the forefront for them. What's the particular thing they're struggling? But eventually, throughout the conversation, I know I need to have an understanding of all of these pieces. And then it synergizes, like you say, with brand clarity, it synergizes into the right answer for them.
0: And as a bit of an aside, what I'm almost realizing is because this is your space, not mine, because it's, you know, the the consulting, coaching, pre-brand space, not mine. We've never processized this, if that's a word. We've never turned this into a process like we do for my stuff. Mm. And, And it's just worth bearing in mind that this is where, someone with some really sensitive insights that can look at that holistic picture like you, there is no formula, I guess, is what's really important to say. This is not Mm. about saying this is the answer and this is what everyone should be doing. It's much more subtle than that, isn't it? It's much more subtle. It's much more contextualized
1: and it's also contextualized in time. So this Mm is, you know, the conversation around price, with someone in their business at one stage will yield a number that will yeah. yield a completely different number at a different time and a different stage and that right. is why pricing is tricky yeah. it's very i mean it's not tricky for mcdonald's because a big mac costs this yeah. you know whatever it is something that's in the context of time in the context of the backdrop of what's going on for the entrepreneur and in the context of the market and mm. i think i think you're absolutely right if we're not going to get pulled too far off our authenticity and too far into other people's messaging and opinions i would advocate looking at the value what you're uniquely bringing yeah. and your value first and then you have to go out and sort of test yeah well does that fit and one of the things in that is very specifically how long does it take to produce what it is you're producing and what are all the other costs that go into that so when you're determining price at a very fundamental level, you have to know what it costs to create or deliver what it is that you're doing. And then the pricing of that is affected by all sorts of things like what margin do you want to make, how good your marketing is, what your reach is, what your position is. But fundamentally, and quite a few people do come, as as you've said more recently, They might come to you not knowing actually what it costs to bring this product to market. So if you don't know that, you absolutely need to know that. And you need to know in terms of the whole supply chain and all of those pieces, you need to think about your time as an entrepreneur because quite often that doesn't get costed. And then we come back to, well, how do you cost for your time? (laughs) You know, how do you work out your day rate? So maybe it's helpful to dig into... Well, if I'm going to price for my time, how do I do that with some level of accuracy? Now, we talk about this a lot in pricing your stuff. What are some of the things that you're thinking of in the background when you're thinking of what is my time worth?
0: So I can't remember the exact wording. (laughs) Maybe this isn't a great quote at all, but there's something around you're not paying me for the 20 minutes to do the work, you're paying me for the 20 years it took me to to work out how to do the work in 20 minutes. Yeah. And oh, yeah, and there is a bit of that, isn't there? There is a there is a big piece, I think, around not and and I think this is what the income boasters call value-based pricing. Mm-hmm. So this is this piece around what is what I'm doing worth? So, you know, one, I shouldn't be filling my time to justify what I'm charging, but also I shouldn't be penalized for getting better at what I do and taking less time to do it. In so that's yeah. one of those principles that I think is, is really important to think about is like, what is the value that's being added? If you really know your shizzle, Mm. perhaps that's going to have more of a bearing on what you should be charging than the hours. Yes.
1: And what's interesting when I have these conversations with entrepreneurs, particularly around running service-based businesses, because this is where it gets more complex. When it's a product, it's almost easier to make those decisions because you know what the product costs to make. There's probably, for most entrepreneurs there's probably a similar product out on the market that you just Mm. have a slightly different magic for so you have a comparison point and you have a comparison point of different brands at different levels so think about the world of skincare you've got 10 million different offerings there yeah you've got you know skincare at the arnia level versus skincare at the body shop level or whatever or the ordinary
0: Um, or the ordinary yeah
1: yeah, the super cheap level so you have a temp you do have a template there, and then you can look at well, I need to be making this amount of money from this business, and can I make enough margin on that to hit those numbers, and what would it take to make that margin is a is a much more straightforward question almost
0: just from a flip side to that, from the sort of the branding and the positioning that's a really easy way to look at this because you can look and you can think well what space in the market are we occupying? You know, just in terms of price, are we at Eve Lom level or are we at ordinary level? And within, just within that pricing structure, are we delivering value? Have we got enough edge? Have we priced in a way that that gets people to see that value, but also that they can, that it's almost a bit of a no brainer that they can go, yes, that stacks up. I'm going to say yes to that. And I think we should come back to this. But yeah, it's, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Like you say, yeah. with a product.
1: And when it comes back to you as an entrepreneur, it's not so easy. No. And these conversations, you get to the right point eventually, but they go something along the lines of, well, what do you think you should be charging? And a number comes out. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about charging that number Mm. and this is where it gets really interesting before we even look at whether that is a viable number to hit from the marketing Mm. from the branding whether that number actually means that the entrepreneur gets to pay the bills and whatever else they want to do with that money that's even before that question our relationship with how we feel about charging that price particularly for a service-based business is everything yeah because it almost doesn't matter what you charge, if you are confident in your pricing, you will get much less resistance. All things being equal, great brand, great marketing, blah, 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 you will get less resistance to your pricing proportionate to the amount of confidence in your pricing you have. So you do have to pitch yourself whether you are actually worth more than that or not. You have to pitch yourself at a level with which you can confidently own that price. And this, to me, is everything.
0: And there's an assumption there that you're working with a client that really knows their shizzle. And I guess there's an assumption that all of the prices that you're considering, they're able to live, deliver excellence and value at those levels. It does matter. And I know, I know. That you're not saying this, but it does matter if you decide to rent yourself out at ten grand a day, and you're just starting because you're yes, there's going to be huge issues with recommendability (laughs) and value for money.
1: Absolutely, and I'm not saying if you're confident in it, you can pitch yourself or whatever you like, and then people do.
0: The income boasters do, and the whole thing is built around. Just have the right money mindset. Yeah. I'm charging £24,000 for a day of consulting, yeah. and you can too. And we're not saying No, that. we're definitely not saying that. So all
1: things being equal, there's a few assumptions under that. Let's assume that you're excellent at what you do. Let's assume yeah. that you are delivering value and that your product or service is what your service is wanted, and that the market can bear that. And we'll get into the details of that fundamentally yet that product could be worth for the sake of this a hundred pounds right a hundred pounds an hour that product could be worth that but if you only feel comfortable charging 20 pounds an hour it is not going to make sense for you to charge a hundred it also doesn't make sense for you to charge 20 because the likelihood is going to be worth more (laughs) than that yeah 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 so what are how are the ways that we navigate through that landscape and this is why it's, sort of, it's an intuitive conversation a lot of the time. And it's very subtle and it changes. Yeah. So I will often ask the question about resentment. Yes. How low would the price have to be before you start resenting working for that amount of money? Because that is a useful question to find out what your bottom threshold is. Because yes. as soon as resentment starts to creep into your work, you don't deliver value generally. You don't put in what you want to put in and business becomes a chore and it feels
0: like hard work. So we want to avoid that. Don't even know that it's just about that. Sometimes you can still throw in your all, but actually it's hugely damaging to your confidence to realize that this client has got all of this value and they don't appreciate it. Yes. And that's
1: where resentment can kick in
0: hugely yeah okay
1: so we've got a sense of where our bottom threshold is and then it can be useful just to work out where we are within these parameters to go well what would wildly what would be wildly out of your ballpark
0: Mm. what feels
1: not okay to charge and not like what's the lowest closest number to that if you know what i mean not like oh i'm gonna charge 10 million what Mm. is what are the parameters we're working in and then once you've established those parameters without looking at anything else You've got yeah. sense of worth for the entrepreneur within that. And then you mm. can start looking at, okay, and I will often have an instinct because I work with people in similar fields. I'll often have an instinct as to whether I think they're pitching too low or too high yeah. based on yeah. the market, in the same way that you do with a brand, based on
0: yeah.
1: either the market or what I know of this entrepreneur in terms of their capability, their skills, their confidence, their expertise, yeah. their ability to market, because all of those yeah. things come into play. Because there is, and this is the crux, I think, which might be useful to get your perspective on. Even if someone is expert, brilliant, they have a good product, and there are people out in the market that that will pay for it. Your ability to market that in the right way does affect some level of the pricing. So I think maybe we can explore that dynamic. Yeah, I mean,
0: this is the power of brand, isn't it? Is that your brand is there, I hope, ethically to communicate credibility, value, to show your expertise. I mean, that is the whole thrust of what I do and why I love what I do is it's about owning your space, connecting with people in the right way. And part of that is saying, I'm worth this, whether that's a product or a service. I mean, that that is what we did with Arnia.
1: Mm.
0: That's yeah. that transformation between something that feels quite hard and cold and clinical and and very features-led and something that feels immersive and sensory and premium and Mm. ritualistic and gorgeous and that really feels worth what she's charging. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you've got the branding element of that and you've got the marketing element around the brand
0: because I know a
1: lot of entrepreneurs can get into this space where they know they've got something of value, they know they're really good, but their marketing isn't hitting the mark for whatever reason or they're just not maybe it's not to do with their marketing but they're just not getting the leads or they're just not getting enough in
0: or the conversions and I think that can really knock our confidence can't it and sometimes that's not that your pricing was out it's sometimes that your toolkit isn't there
1: yeah and our response to that in relation to pricing can often be to slash our prices
0: or just not raise them
1: yeah yeah. You know, just
0: keep them at a level. Yeah. When actually we've moved on.
1: Yeah. And sometimes dropping your prices in certain contexts can be really useful. And sometimes it can be brand limiting and reputation limiting and opportunity limiting.
0: Mm. Can I just pick up on something you said? It was so important around we were assuming excellence mm. when we're thinking about the pricing and those parameters and I'm I'm just thinking about somebody you know we both work with people pivoting going into new careers so mm. you know me with people starting out as designers through Elevate and you a lot of career changes mm. what about when they're not excellent at what they do what about when they're in that stage of their learning How do you tackle that in terms of price? Well, again,
1: that comes back to what they think and they feel they're comfortable at charging. Mm. What is the current value to the market of that? And crucially, really, it's, it's almost less about what price they hit and more about how they position and how they tell the stories around that so that they buy themselves enough space to grow. And this will be an individual conversation with each client because some clients are prepared to take the hit in terms of what their clients won't see in order to be able to deliver value. So, for example, an artist who is creating beautiful illustrations for a brand and because they have only been doing this for a shortish amount of time it doesn't mean their work isn't exquisite but it takes them five days instead of one day to produce an exquisite piece of work yeah and we know what they might want as a day rate but if they were to charge five days that it actually yeah. takes it's
0: uncommercial it's isn't
1: un-commercial it and the market wouldn't bear it so in those learning phases that entrepreneur might choose to take the hit on their time to still pitch it at what it's worth and be able to see ahead to Okay. well, after six months of honing this or a year of honing this or two years of honing this, I know that this is the efficient and the competent level I will be at. Therefore, I'm going to charge that level because I am delivering that. It's just taking me longer to produce it. Mm. But I'm not going to pass that cost on to my client because it's not fair.
0: Actually, you've just made me remember this old agency adage um, that someone I worked with years and years and years ago, in the print space reminded taught me which was if you think it's going to take you two days charge for three and do it in one now (laughs) yeah it's funny though because through the lens of the income boasting and the hustle culture that now sounds massively (laughs) ripoffy yeah Yeah, But you've got to remember we're coming at this from like 25 years ago Mm. when people had quite different perspectives, I think.
1: But there is something to be said in that about buying yourself enough time to do a good job.
0: I think that's the key thing is giving yourself enough space, not rushing, but also if we take that do it in one, don't do a crap job. Yeah. But actually, if it only takes a day and you've done a a brilliant job, that's okay. Yeah. It's about the value you're delivering and the quality of what you're delivering rather than how long it took you to get there. Yeah. So I think there's some good stuff in there. And there's some stuff now that sounds. (laughs) classically yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 1980s sales culture <laughs> yeah well I'm gonna say 1997 yeah. rather than 80s yeah. but yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and I think there's a lot in that within this I think also what we're saying is how your pricing is constructed won't always be transparent to your consumer yes and nor should it be but yes. I think fundamentally we've got to get to this understanding of what feels fair what mm. feels fair what feels good value, what feels right. And as an entrepreneur, it's that balancing point between the graph that you have to put in, the cost of delivery, the cost of your training and your development and all of that, and how much of that is it possible to pass on to your client up until a point in which it's no longer fair for them yeah. to do that. And in some markets, that won't even come into it because there's, the ceiling is so high, you've got that scope. And as long as you're delivering value and expertise, we do have to look at it in the context of what you want to earn or what you need to earn and have a realistic sense of, well, whether you've got the chops to be doing that at the moment. Yeah. And so I think this is about understanding how your business and how you are going to grow and evolve over time, because we can all start out going, right, I want to make the seven figures or whatever, whatever the figure is. Mm -hmm. And it might be that we're just not there yet. That's why a lot of startup businesses have the three, five, 10 year plan, because they recognize there's a scaling piece.
0: Yeah. So there's something around closing the gap, isn't there, between what you want to be charging and what value you're adding at the moment. And that generally, closing that gap is about honing your craft. It's not necessarily about having the right media kit or presenting in the right way, although those things come into it. But I do think so much of pricing, you know, yes, it's wrapped up in perception, but, but you've got to be really good at what you do.
1: And this thing about perception, pricing creates a perception. And it's a really subtle art of, it's really about understanding people. Mm. What perception is your pricing creating is such a huge thing that people don't think about because quite often you can go, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know, a newly qualified massage therapist, for example, Mm. and I'm going to be really generous while I'm developing my business and building my list. And I'm going to give people an hour and a half treatment for 20 quid. Now, you might think that that's a no brainer and that's brilliant. And it means you're going to build your list and you're going to build your referrals. But what perception is that creating in your client market? And I'm not saying that isn't a good strategy. You know, some startup businesses in that space offer free treatments to build their list and we're going to get into this around pitching and worth in another episode I think but we need to have an understanding of the perception our pricing creates and can we live up to that perception and that expectation Mm -hmm. and part of that is also around how much responsibility we want to take particularly if you're in a service-based business of that pricing so if you're charging a certain amount to deliver say project management for example mm. you know, i work with a lot of interior designers architects people who do full on project management end to end delivery for their clients the more you charge for that service the higher the expectation of you basically being owned by your client there is
0: at what point do things go above your pay grade so what's yeah. the yeah. you know what's the level of insight expertise strategic commercial responsibility that you're prepared to take. And I think yes. the pricing really feeds into that. Yeah, definitely. And this is a perennial chat I have with brand designers is, you know, particularly those at the, at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of price and value and expertise is like, you don't have to be a brand strategist just because your client doesn't have a clear brand strategy, just because they're not clear on their positioning mm if you don't have the expertise for that you don't need to be the one picking up the can it's okay to just say i need you to be clearer around this i need you to have made a decision around this i don't have enough to go on to create you a brand identity you know but there's this this sort of scope creep if you like that comes yeah. in and we sort of over commit to things and that has a huge impact on our creative confidence and
1: definitely
0: Definitely. But I think if we
1: come back to this perception piece, what we're trying to Mm. avoid in our pricing is we're trying to avoid buyer's remorse. Yes. And we're trying to do the opposite of that. We want to induce this feeling of delight, of exceeding expectations. And the easiest way to do that, you might think, is just to price really low. (laughs) And therefore, everyone's going to be delighted. But what we often forget in that is that In pricing low, people don't necessarily
0: value things as much. Mm. This is such a good point that you've raised because the flip side to that also is feeling like you're moving forwards from a solid foundation. So if you're offering a service, you want to feel like your client's invested. They see the value in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked last week about when you suddenly tenfold your pricing, it flings you so far out of your comfort zone that you're in this kind of paralysis. You want to feel like you're in this safety net and there's a real art here, isn't there? Because your client needs to have invested enough that there isn't the resentment that they're underpaying you, but also that you feel like you're doing some good here. But not so far that you feel exposed and vulnerable and paralyzed to move forward. Yeah.
1: And I think it's recognized. The thing that I think a lot of people, it comes up in these conversations a lot, that a lot of people don't consider in this area is there will be a price that somebody pays, which means they're bought in.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: They have crossed a threshold of, I've got some skin in the game. It happens a lot Mm. in the coaches that I work with because I work, I coach a lot of coaches Yes. And it's dynamic between people's readiness and willingness to show up for a
0: session. Yes.
1: On time. On time. The pricing affects that. Mm. How much they to yeah. bring affects that. So, you know, I've had not so much at the moment, but I've had periods in my business where I got enough uh, corporate mm. business going on or enough training and development business or enough writing work or whatever that is that in principle, I could throw a lot of pro bono work out there. And that's not to say Mm. I don't still do that. But I used to have that absolutely firmly built into my business model that I would do quite a large chunk of pro bono work Mm. as a standard. And what was interesting in doing that for a number of years is exploring the, and this comes down to fundamental human worth, particularly with coaching clients, is pro bono work can be amazing and empowering and some people absolutely run with it Hmm. but if there's not an exchange of some kind regardless of how much of the nuts you are as a coach there is potentially a limit to the transformation that can happen in that space yeah because they're not bought because they're not
0: invested because they don't and it it's the same I think with Design, you know, if people aren't invested, if they haven't bought in emotionally, Mm. what they do with that design is going to be limited. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah.
1: Okay, so I'd really like to dig into with you how branding can help shape your pricing and create that space. But before we go there, there's two other pieces I think it's worth just covering off because this comes up a lot. The first chunk is wholesale versus retail and how do we deal with that in pricing? And the Mm. second is what do we do about rising or dropping or discounting our pricing? Yes. So if we start with wholesale versus retail, and we've talked a little bit before about building in enough space to do a good job. And there's also when we're thinking about a business that is b2c business to consumer selling direct but then also has a wholesale arm to their business that makes pricing a lot more complex doesn't it what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah i mean i i think i need to preface it by saying i am not a retail product expert so i'm loath to say this is the absolute answer but what I also know from talking to clients that have product-based businesses is many of, not all of them, obviously, you know, Susanna from Arnie has got this stuff nailed. <laughs> but I, often if I'm talking to somebody about a new product and I say, OK, so what's the retail price and have you got enough space in there for wholesale and then can you still make a profit at wholesale? They often haven't thought th- through those numbers it's often a bit of a surprise and so I think you know unless you categorically know you don't want to distribute this you don't have to wholesale through Amazon but you know you might want to have some selected stockists yeah they need a big chunky discount to make it worth their while to sell in their shop
1: yeah
0: so they can maintain the integrity of your pricing you know everyone if everyone's going to sell it at the same level You have to have a good chunk there. So if you think about that in terms of often, often wholesale discounts are around the 60% off, yeah, 40 to 60% off situation.
1: Yeah. And I think people are often surprised at those numbers.
0: Most of the conversations that I have with people, they're surprised. And then if you think, okay, so if my retail price is 30 quid, I might sell it wholesale at somewhere between um 18 and 10 pounds a unit yeah which means that really my material costs need to be no more than 3 pounds yeah because i've got storage to pay for i've got distribution to pay for i need to get marketing out of that just the general running of my business and yeah. so you do need to run those basic numbers now i'm sure there is someone with far more experience and specialism than me that can give you the absolute numbers but certainly My experience with the books is Amazon take a sixty percent discount, and that's not negotiable. They just yeah, that's what they take.
1: Yeah, same, absolutely. And to
0: be clear, out of that with the books, so you know it's very rare that you pay full price for a book on Amazon. Yes. So out of that, so they're not taking sixty percent off. The 13 pounds they decide to sell it for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 30% off the retail price. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And
0: and out of that discount comes their discounting and all the marketing that they do. So. Yeah.
1: So I think fundamentally what we're saying in this is you need to, if you're going to wholesale, you need to build in significant margin. You need to know what your product, as we've said before, takes to produce, and within that you need to look at all the hidden costs that you might not look at, all the transport, all the storage. And that your time, as we said before, all the administration costs, all of those things need to be wrapped in. And for some people, wholesale won't won't be a model. And this might be for another episode as well. There's a perception, I think, with a lot of business owners about how successful their business is if they're selling retail versus wholesale, some people think they've made it when they go wholesale and their products are being white labeled all over the place. And that's fantastic. And their, Mm. their brand isn't necessarily known in those spaces, particularly if they go white label. Yeah. But they're running a very successful business with high turnover. And some people only consider their business to be successful if they're selling direct to consumer and they've got their own direct audience and their brand integrity is maintained it doesn't actually matter which as long as you as the entrepreneur have thought it through and you're happy with it and you know what you want to make.
0: One more thing on that, even if you're not going to sell wholesale, it's very likely that at some point you're going to want to offer a discount to incentivize. Yes, and
1: that brings us very neatly on to rising and dropping and this this isn't just exclusive to product-based businesses. So, when we're rising or dropping our prices, what do we need to consider there?
0: Well, price is often a marker of credibility, isn't it? If we People will have a perception of what your product or service is worth and an expectation of the value they're going to get based on that price. And I think the art and the science of branding, marketing, pricing is to try and get that right, to hit that sweet spot where people see the value in what you're doing, but you're not creating too many barriers Mm. to people buying. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, thinking about this perception piece as well, discounting, as we know, is used really widely to shift product or services, and it can be a really valuable pricing and marketing tool. And it's like any personality trait, isn't it? Taken too far, it becomes a caricature of itself and actually becomes business limiting. So... Mm. It's important when you're thinking about discounting, for example, that piece about maintaining the value and the worth of your product and not discounting it to the point where it becomes throwaway. But when you're discounting, there's also the timing of discounts to consider and the frequency of discounting to consider and the recognition that you're going to set up an expectation with your client base if you do things consistently. Yeah. So with the brand stylist stuff, people consistently know that you discount on launch yeah, and you've made, you have a brand promise, whether people are aware of it or not, that it will never be cheaper than that launch price. Yeah. And with all of these things, this is about trust and credibility. So one of the things, however you discount or however you price, whatever promise you make, you need to be able to keep it. Mm. And you need, I think we need to factor in, particularly with discounting something that people forget is Who are we discounting for and how does that affect your loyal consumer base? So Mm. if we have a loyal consumer base who've been on your list for a while and who have maybe bought repeatedly from you and products that they've invested quite heavily in, then suddenly become available at a much reduced rate to someone who hasn't shown any of that loyalty to you then they can get subsequent buyer's remorse and it damages that brand's reputation.
0: Well, and and your relationship with them, it's something I'm so mindful of. Yeah. Certainly with my staff, you know, I would never do a 50% off your first course because actually that really penalizes the people that have been with me since the start, Mm, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a bit like that advert, brand new customers only, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you've got to look after the people that support you. I wonder what you think about the emotional side of discounting from an entrepreneur's point of view. Mm. I think sometimes it it can feel like a bit of a failure Mm. or an admission of failure or or an admission that things aren't going quite as great as they should be. So we're discounting. I mean, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think all of those things can be true. I think I think there can be generosity and joy in discounting. If we're constantly discounting our product or service and that then yields leads and rewards over time, that can knock a chip away at our perception of what our product or service is actually worth. Because if people are only buying it on the discount, we can very easily get into that mindset where, well, that's actually what it's worth. And I think that's a risk.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's part of it. And I think the other side to it, and I think it's a mindset thing, is let's say we decide to do a discount because business isn't as buoyant as it was. Yeah. So we're coming at it less from a place of generosity and joy and more from a place of a need to do something to drive some sales. So we're already perhaps in not a great place when we put that out there. Mm. And so. If we're then feeling like, oh, well, everyone's looking at me. They're seeing that I'm just, I I think that's what I'm trying to get at. That that perception as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. Well, I think discounting in order to get orders in is why a lot of people discount. Right. And that's, that's okay. That's a good business strategy to do. I don't think we should be ashamed of discounting.
0: I think it's that. That's what yeah. I'm trying to get at, is like how you handle that in your head. It's about doing the
1: pre-thinking beforehand. And it's a mindset shift of going, you know, and we've seen it before in the past with some of the stuff that you've done when you've discounted it and people have knee-jerk, emailed, or messaged you gone, Oh my god, I feel like it's Christmas. I've literally just won mm. a prize. And that yeah. to me says the discounting is working, or the or the the production of a product that is honoring the fact that people might not have a lot of money to spend but is still delivering exceptional value makes people feel like it's Christmas so actually a discount should be should feel to the entrepreneur like it's a gift
0: and I think there's a disconnect right between how you might feel as an entrepreneur do it maybe let's call it having to discount mm. but actually how that actually comes across to clients who really want to engage in what you're doing, but either don't have the budget or need an excuse. So if I think about, I mean, Matilda Goad is probably quite a good example. I adore her homewares. She does the lovely scalloped lampshades Mm. and other really whimsical, colourful things. I don't know whether she ever discounts, but if she did... I wouldn't look at her and think, "Oh my God, you're really struggling." No, you know, exactly. Your business is failing. You failed as an entrepreneur. I don't like you anymore. No, you, you go happy
1: days. I'm, I'm in. Brilliant.
0: <laughs> I can finally yeah. get the lampshade. Exactly
1: the same. And I think this does work with products particularly strongly, because I could very easily hold the line of, if most of us never bought anything again other than food, and mm-hmm. most adults for the next 10 years, didn't buy any other clothes, we'd probably be okay. But capitalism yeah. doesn't work like that. And why do you, I'm not like, advocating the whole system collapsing? The thing with a lot of products is we don't actually today. need them. We want them. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's the same example with my other half. He'd seen this jacket, this ski jacket come up that mm. was an incredible brand that is worth, I don't know, a thousand pounds worth of ski jacket. No way he would have justified that. Yeah. But it came across his desk at a significant discount. And he suddenly looked at it and he went, Oh my goodness. It didn't make him think for a second, well, that brand's rubbish. He went, yeah, Oh my god, I'm gonna get this. <laughs> he didn't it, you know, he didn't think yeah. about this. Like, Oh my goodness, I'm gonna get this amazing thing for this mm-hmm. discount. And I think where we lose the where we can lose credibility in the discounts is if we're discounting too frequently, and therefore not only our perception of our value drops but the perception to our clients drops. And then what it also creates is, well, they're just going to wait until the next discount, particularly if those discounts are reliable. You know, we know people wait until Black Friday now to spend on certain things.
0: And Black Friday gets earlier and earlier every year. So I think I've seen some already. Yes. It's kind of Black November now. Yeah, where black and is, that's
1: because the market has recognised that, whoops, we've shot ourselves a little bit in the foot here mm, <laughs> and we've only bought yeah. ourselves a one-day buying window and that's mm. a problem. So that's the yeah. risk, I think, with those things. But I think mm. if you're going to discount, we only ever really think about discounting, don't we, when we need to, when, when maybe business is a little bit tougher or that's usually why we do that. And I think that's okay. And I think it's then looking at it in across the perspective of all the other things you offer as well. So when you're discounting, are you doing? Are you discounting across the board? Are you discounting specific, you know, lots of warehouses will discount specific lines to clear stock. It's a standard business practice. And actually it makes a lot of sense because after the buzz of an initial launch of something has worn off, the buying drops off and therefore you need another impetus to buy. So it, it makes good sense. Yeah, I just think okay. with all of this, we need to... Think, think about maintaining the integrity of the product. Think about maintaining the relationships of people that have trusted us and think about what perceptions are created through this over time. That's Those are the mm. metrics, I think, when we think about discounting. And they probably also apply for rising prices. So it used to be fairly standard industry practice that people would just expect a price inflation of your prices in line or not with inflation every year. Mm. And- a lot of corporates just do that by standard you know the Mars bar shrinks or the cost goes up it's that it's mm. that kind of thing just happens now I've
0: got my eye on Lerpac constantly <laughs> oh my god yeah no, like- genuinely like Lurpak used to be 325 it's now 395 but it went up to five pounds and I was not spending five pounds no. on a tub of Lerpac honestly fun. I have tracked that product <laughs>
1: so what do we think in this in this climate and for these entrepreneurs that we're speaking to what should we be thinking about when we're considering price rises
0: well I think if your value is massively out of step with your price you know let's say you haven't raised your prices in three years and you know that you've done a lot of work to move your craft forwards and and that you're delivering more value I don't think that should be a reason to say don't catch your pricing up with where I'm thinking specifically service-based businesses really and I I guess I'm thinking project-based services I think right now you're going to find it very difficult you know if for example we both pay for our accountancy on a monthly basis I don't think those kind of monthly subscriptions are necessarily the place to be raising prices I think you're going to get a lot of fallout Mm. it's my sense from that kind of thing but you know if your costs have gone up dramatically and it's not profitable to do it or not sustainable then you've got to do it and then it becomes about how you communicate doesn't it
1: yeah and I think if I think about other interest industries that incrementally lift their prices and do it incredibly effectively on mass subscription numbers, you know, Spotify or Netflix or any of those sort of subscription services or paying for Apple storage or those those small mm. things, because they have a massive consumer base, they're able to incrementally raise their prices by, oh, by a pennies. tiny amount. You
0: don't even notice. And
1: therefore you don't notice. And then if I look back at what I'm paying now for... I don't know, one of those services versus what I might have been paying five years ago. It's like, really? wow! I wouldn't have bought in at that price, but I didn't even notice it go. So um, there are there are benefits to having large consumer bases and a product that just when people are really bought in and you can just drip feed that price hike over time. Yeah. But I think for most people, we're not in that situation. So I think it is, yeah, definitely around how you message that, how you communicate that, bridging the gap between, Suddenly, you've you've upskilled massively, or you've created something that you know adds more value than it was. The challenge with that is, even though you know that that's true, and it might have been worth a thousand pounds yesterday, and it's now worth three thousand pounds, and it genuinely is that for all intents and purposes, hiking that price overnight is probably going to be business limiting. You'd need to be really careful about how you position that. And it might be that you need to take the long view and raise prices incrementally. One thing as well about raising your prices, particularly as your skills improve or your experience improves, is it also affects referability. So I rely, as I think I've said before, most of my work comes in via referral and because I work with my clients over long stretches of time and I build relationships over long stretches of time, consistency of my pricing does make a difference to some people. So, for example, if a, if a client I worked with five years ago recommends me to someone they're talking to now, they'll probably, that person will naturally ask them, well, what did it cost you? Mm-hmm. Um, and if my price five years ago is too long a stretch, but six months ago, say. If mm. my price has quadrupled in that six months, yeah, that lead is going to be much more difficult to convert. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't lift your price, but we need mm. to consider how we manage that. So in lifting your pricing, your communications also need to be lifted. Your brand presence needs to be lifted. your, you know, Everything needs to elevate alongside your prices in mm. order to be able to maintain that conversion rate
0: so are you finding that across the board people are undercharging is there a skills gap between their ambition and for their for what they want to be charging or making and what they're currently delivering do you think people have got it pitched about right I mean I get that once they work with you it will be right but what level are they coming in at do you think
1: I think it varies massively on industry. Mm. I think there there are a couple of outliers who, are, who have wildly got their pricing wrong. You know, I still get the occasional person who has 15 years experience, who are really the nuts and who are charging £75 a day for their time. I mean, not £75 mm. a day, but the equivalent. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's very obviously a worth challenge and we need to sort that stuff. And that
0: is actually a money mindset issue.
1: Often, um, and yeah. often a gap which is why which is why it's so wonderful working in collaboration with you is often they can't actually charge what they're worth because their brand doesn't do the job for them and I I couldn't I could I could get them into the headspace of charging what they're worth absolutely and they can own that but can they take that to market well not without you (laughs) (laughs) so maybe that maybe that sort of segues us really neatly into the power of a brand to impact your pricing and to choose Mm. your space in the market and to back you up so
0: Mm.
1: what are your I mean that there are I know there are loads of thoughts on that but I am going to ask the general question of what do you what do you think about that
0: I mean at some point and it takes me back to a client I was talking to recently who's got a completely new product and She's actually had to go away, refine the product and work out her pricing because I don't know where to pitch that brand in the market until I get some of those variables. Yeah. So you've got to work out, uh, I think we talked about this earlier, you've got to work out what the variables are. But there's a point where you go, this is where we're going to put this brand. And the job of the brand identity and all the visuals and the voice is to help it sit comfortably in that space Yeah. so that it just exudes its brilliance and people really connect with it. It feels credible. Yeah. It feels authentic. They're not left questioning. Well, do I believe what this brand is saying? Do I think it's worth that money? Mm. They just get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the powerful thing for me that a lot of people don't think about in this is the brand has the power when done well to not only represent the product and the natural space in which it would sit, but to carve out that space.
0: Ultimately, your brand is there to help support your commercial space. So it it has to be connected.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I know that my credibility as a coach or a consultant wouldn't stand up with the brand that I had 15 years ago.
0: No. And and that's partly because design moves on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it's there, it's there so that everything that you're putting out makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about why we think it's difficult to price, we've talked about the relationship with pricing and worth, we've mm. talked about wholesale versus retail. There's sort of things to consider in rising and dropping your prices and those key factors to consider about buying yourself enough time to do a good job, about really knowing what the value it brings, about knowing every detail of the cost it takes to deliver your product or service. We've talked about that emotional piece of having the comfort with your pricing that gives you enough confidence and avoids resentment and also Mm. factors in the amount of responsibility that that pricing puts on you. Mm -hmm. and we've talked a little bit about what the market will bear and how to gauge that, and I don't know whether we've said quite enough on this in the sense that the market is constantly changing, and therefore we need to just be tapped into that. doesn't mean knee-jerk your prices around, but the cost-of-living crisis phase that we're in at the moment will mean that we need to look at our pricing models, and if you haven't looked at it since before COVID or after COVID and before the now cost of living crisis then it probably is worth looking at that just just to get a sense of where you sit but i think for me the key takeaways are we need to find a balance point in all of this there's no one right way to price that can be yeah. w- rolled out across the board for everybody and we need to balance our value our worth and what the market is doing what are the headlines really for you the key takeaways for you
0: I th- I think it is that balance point really between worth value excellence not dipping into resentment making sure that you price particularly right now at a level that is appealing mm. so I think the only thing that we haven't touched on and you do this really well every time I launch something you sense check it against all my other offerings mm And we make sure that the pricing stacks up. So for example, the open house, how does that stack up against an hour with me or a day with me? You know, does it all make sense? Is any one thing undermining? Yes. Anything else? So every online course we put out, we think about how the price relates to what else is out there, don't we? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that broad perspective for a sustainable business is key. And particularly in a business like yours, where people will come in and buy multiple offerings from you.
0: Yeah.
1: And want you want to create the same level of value feeling from every offering you deliver. So it's yeah. absolutely essential that, like you say, one product or service is not undermining another one
0: just before we wrap then i want to know how you think things are in the market right now you know not just price related but what are you seeing generally
1: Mm. i'm seeing a huge variety of experiences and a huge variety depending on which industry those people are operating in so some industries are ahead of the curve so you know, as we saw this in 2007, 2008, I worked in corporate training and development then. And when budget gets mm. tight, training gets cut. We were the mm. first ones to go. Yeah, and, and similar now, probably with some branding stuff, it's like, yeah. oh, is it essential? Is it not? And I know that, that things will flip back around, as we've talked about a lot, and people will start to realize that investment in those things is going to be even more essential because of what's happening in yeah. the market. So I think there are there are some businesses who are still very buoyant. There are some yeah. businesses who are ahead of the curve of the natural downturn that's happening at the moment. I think for me I look if I look at the emotional landscape of it it's a little bit more consistent so those people that are really buoyant are actually really overwhelmed and run ragged and struggling because the pressures everywhere else are so much so for them it's about streamlining and it's about taking care of themselves and it's about you know really this empowered entrepreneurship approach that we're working with Mm. and then for other people they are if they're not overwhelmed by too much to do they're overwhelmed by how am I going to cope with this And so I think emotionally the landscape at the moment is more fragile than it was before. Uh, People are fearful more than they were before. And people are knee-jerking and panicking and more susceptible and vulnerable than they might have been before. And for me, I know I would probably wrap almost every episode up with this, which is why we probably need to do a whole thing on it. I desperately, desperately want to call for universal compassion, like just for (laughs) ourselves. And everybody's doing the best that they can and let yourself off the hook and I can't say things are going to be better overnight you know depending on which lens I look at things through but I can say that worrying that not looking at things objectively that not getting the support or the help that you need to see things through at the moment is not going to help so take a step back calm everything down look at things with a dispassionate lens as much as you can, get the support you need, use this time to get your ducks in a row. And we have the opportunity with our businesses when they are priced in alignment with what's authentic and with what the market's doing to be still, I think, very successful.
0: Yeah. Amen to that.
1: Amen to that. (laughs) Thank you so much, lovely. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Style and Substance. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find more information on everything we've talked about by heading to the show notes or by visiting our websites at thebrand-stylist.com or elizabethcairns.com. If you like what you've heard, we'd love a review. We're a brand new
1: show and your support makes all the difference. You can like and subscribe as well as giving us what we hope is a well-deserved five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show too, so please do leave your comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes on our blogs.
0: Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye.